You're listening to Perry Noble's Thoughts on leadership, vision, and creativity. For daily insight, please check out perrynoble.com. Hello, everybody out there in Radio Land. This is actually in radio. This is podcast land. You can't say that anymore. But hey, we're here. My hey, name's we're Shane. We're old, Shane. That's we're right. Old. I'm old. You're old. That's okay. But we're here on the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast. We're glad you've joined us for this edition. And we've got a really cool topic to talk about today. But before we get to that, I wanted just to make a couple of announcements. One, we've been telling you guys all summer that uh, the New Spring Leadership Conference is coming up September the 8th. And we were hoping you would be there. But if you don't have a ticket yet, you're not going to get one. That thing is sold out. Uh, So hopefully uh, you have your ticket and we'll see you here. If not, you can start making plans for 2012. But beyond that, we've got a couple of cool things coming up uh, in the spring. Perry's going to be doing another coaching network, so uh, get your mind right about that opportunity. And then also in December, uh, I can't give you a lot of information just yet, but in December we're going to do something really special, really different, specifically for senior pastors and their wives, but it could be open to to all church staff. And uh, we'll have more information about that coming up, released actually at this year's New Spring Leadership Conference. So keep an eye out for that, and we'll give you more information uh, in this format on the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast when we have it. Uh, but before we get uh, into today's topic, Perry, is there anything you want to shout out to our listeners about? No, the only thing I would say about that thing in December is it, it, it it's going to be on Thursday, December 1st, and you can just go ahead and mark your calendar, and if you're a senior pastor, go ahead and bring... Go ahead and plan to bring your wife. A lot of a lot of pastors love going to things because they don't get to take their wives. And I'm like, okay, see, that's the reason you should probably bring her. You're, you're jacked up, dude. So seriously, Thursday, December 1st, and more information next month on this podcast. Very cool. Something fun uh, and important to look forward to. Again, that's December 1st. That's the first Thursday in December. Mark your calendars, and we'll give you more information uh, as we get it. Uh, but today's topic, Perry, is something that I know uh, we've talked around in other po- podcasts Uh, over the last year or so, but we want to spend some time specifically today talking about this topic, the evolution of criticism. Yep. Uh, Why don't you uh, just go ahead and jump in and tell everybody why you felt important to focus on this topic today? You know, Shane, one of the the things that I get to do, one of the privileges I would say I get to have is I get to to meet with pastors from um, now, recently, all over the world. Um, recently met with a couple guys from South Africa, and it was just so cool to be able to make contact with them. And one of um, and and people have said, "Well, hey, man, sometimes pastors talk about criticism too much." And one of the things, though, that they don't understand is when I get one on one, or when I get in a smaller group setting with pastors, and we begin to do a question and answer format. One of the I, I would say first or second questions that always comes to me is Perry how do you deal with critics always I mean it's one or two and so it is a question that I think every pastor every leader wrestles with how do you genuinely deal with criticism and I was like you know what let's just do an entire session of the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast on criticism and trying to walk people through um, the good the bad and the ugly I think that's a, a little really, Clint Eastwood reference there. That was good, wasn't that it? That was good. That's it. I also remember that movie. Another old person reference. Yep. But anyway, um, before we get into the evolution of criticism, because uh, Perry, as you know and our listeners know, uh, criticism, how it's offered, how it's dealt with, has started to evolve over time, especially in the world of social media. But before we get to that, I just want to ask you this simple question. How do you define 
criticism and is or how is it different from the idea of critique or coaching? Um, criticism, cr- criticism is something that everyone faces on, on one, shape, one way, shape, form, or fashion. Um, criticism, I would say it, it used to be defined, the, the, the older def- definition, because the title of this podcast is called The Evolution of Criticism, which might really piss off some creationists, but it's about criticism. That's what we're about. Yeah, it's, absolutely. So, so the evolution of criticism is criticism used to be, I, I, I would define it as since a sincere desire to provide godly correction for someone. That's how I would. That's how I would define criticism, um, thirty or forty years ago. A sincere desire to provide godly correction for someone, but in today's society, that's not what criticism is. Chris, criticism, I could define it with three words: attack, attack, attack. That's all criticism has turned into. So I would say that leaders actually need to make a transition and stop paying attention to critics and pay more attention to coaches and people who will offer genuine godly critique because they love the leader and they love the vision of the organization or the church. Well, speaking of the leader, what is the leader's primary responsibility when it comes to dealing with criticism? You know, it's so funny. Um, The the primary responsibility I feel like that a, a leader has is you cannot allow the voice of the critic to define you. Um, I think I heard Rick Warren say one time, good gosh, speaking of a guy that deals with criticism, but anyway, I think I heard Rick say one time, um, the average, the pastor will leave a church for an average of like five or six critics. Mm-hmm. And what happens is, um, critics are often, they, they aren't the people that are always right. They're just the people that are the loudest mm-hmm. and they're going to scream and scream and scream and scream and scream. And so what begins to happen is a pastor or a leader will allow their voice to define him. And um, one of the things I've always said is when you allow the voice of those that know you the least to define you the most, you're in trouble as a leader. Um, the, the voice of the critic does not define you if you are a follower of Jesus and called by Christ. Jesus defines you. You need to trade in your self-esteem for God-esteem. Um, now, now, the primary responsibility of a leader um, is to ignore the critic, critic being defined as attack, 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 but when it comes to your coaches that God has so graciously given you and the people that want to offer you genuine, honest, godly correction, you listen to them. Because the Bible says in Proverbs, Shane, wounds from a friend can be trusted, not wounds from a critic. There is nowhere in the Scriptures that that, that mentality of people, if, if you're attacked and attacked and attacked, you've got to somehow submit to that type of... um. Well, it's just degrading is what it is. So when it comes to the person that attacks you constantly, um, I tell people, ignore those people. But when it comes to people that literally love you, want to provide genuine correction, they know you, they know your heart, you, ha- you have a responsibility biblically to listen to and, and even submit to those people um, and let them pour into your life. What do you think? gets especially let's talk about specifically the senior leader senior pastor at a church and like you said rick warren mentioned that a pastor may leave uh, because of the voice of four or five critics and let's just say that that's in a church of 300 people yeah and so all these people are satisfied he's doing the right thing 
feels good about it, but these constant attacks from this handful of people, what is it in a pastor? What would you encourage a pastor with to fight through that, to not be knocked off uh, purpose by the voice of a few? Well, Shane, I did an unbelievable example of getting this wrong for years. Um, I was in, in my first church, um, believe it or not, I had a couple critics, um, even though there were 90 people there. Um, it's, it's amazing. You can find them anywhere. Um, second church, I had them. And, and what, what tends to happen, and let me tell you what tends to happen to every pastor, because it's happened to me, and you've actually seen me kind of grow through this, is when you begin to listen to the voice of the critic, you will begin to think that that voice is everyone's voice. And once again, that's not the majority. It's five or six people that are just loud. And the reason they have to be loud is because if they weren't loud, no one would listen to them because they have no credibility um, without their loudness. And so, so, so their voice is coming at you seemingly from every direction and so you begin to get paranoid and think, oh my gosh, those people are the majority, and they're not. They're, they're not the majority. They'll say things to you like, um, well, a lot of people are saying. And I've literally learned to stop them and go, I, I need to know names. I legitimately need to know, know names. Because every time I've tracked it down, they could name three or four people, um, and that's it. So, that's, so I'm like, okay, three or four people are saying, so let's define that. I remember one time, literally... This was four years ago. Um, an article on the internet came out attacking me. And there were, Shane, you remember this, there's 150, 200 comments. And I literally was so freaked out. I'm like, oh my gosh, and all these people are saying this. And we sat down, because I had a friend, I had a coach walk me through this. And I went through and I counted the number of critics on there. And it was five people that had left between five and ten comments apiece. That was the majority. And first of all, who has that much time? I mean, is that the person you really want defining you and, and, and hijacking your vision? So I, I, would say, I would say I did that poorly, but the, the, way, the best thing a pastor or leader can do when it comes to the voice of people that are constantly, listen, they're attacking them. And Shane, it's not for the purpose of correction. Mm -hmm. It is for the purpose of attack and attack only. You have to ignore the critic. I've always told you guys, I don't, have, I don't have a problem with a critic biblically, but I do have a problem with a butthole, and, and that, is, that is huge. Now, I'm sure that one will get ripped out of context and say, Perry called his critics buttholes. Actually, I didn't. Mm -hmm. But I would say, if you're listening to this podcast, if the shoe fits. Or the underwear fits. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, wear it. Okay, wear good. It. That's good. Okay. So, uh, before we get to the idea of evolution, I want to just so it sounds. I believe to me, in. I do believe in six day creation. By the way, me too. I well, really we do. could talk about. I mean, do you want to just go ahead and talk about? Well, how, I mean, no. Like, yeah, let's save that for another time. Of time. Yeah, okay. okay. Anyway, uh, but I thought about this period. Something you were saying uh, in your response to to my last question was, or at least what I was hearing is one of the defenses against uh, falling under the attack of critics and feel like they're all the voices to have a coach to actually have people around you that yes. you can if you're hearing these voices that you can go to and trust so it sounds to me like a proactive approach to dealing with critics is to have a couple of people or a handful of people around you that you trust that you know that love yep. you and that will speak truth into you uh so uh you had that like i said you, you said a coach pulled you to the side and 
and spoke truth into you. So, so would you agree that one of the ways to deal with critics before you ever have one is set somebody up around you to be a coach? Yeah, and you know what, Shane? I have multiple coaches. I have multiple godly men and women that at any time that can come to me, pull me aside, say I have a genuine concern, and I listen to them. Once again, wounds from a friend mm-hmm. can be trusted. And um, I actually did a series of blog posts, and I wrote these down for this podcast. I hope I can read my own writing. But there's seven differences between a coach and a critic. Mm -hmm. Um, A coach has a relationship with you. A critic barely knows you. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that criticism does is it removes or it separates the person and the personality. And most of the time what a critic's doing is he's criticizing the personality without even knowing the person. Um, He's making assumptions about a man or a woman's vision and heart and motives, and he, he or she doesn't even know the person. Mm-hmm. I would call that the epitome of arrogance, but we'll get to that in a little while. Um, second, as a, as a coach always assumes the best, a critic always assumes the worst. Mm-hmm. A coach, listen, a great coach that you want to play for, that guy believes the best in you. Um, but a critic always goes, oh, yeah, see, they did it again. Oh, look what they're doing again. Oh, look what they're doing now. Oh, look what they're doing now. Nobody wants to play for that guy. Um, and and that's that's the reason that nobody is playing for him usually. Um, a cor- a coach cor- corrects out of love. A critic corrects out of pride. That's number three. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a a critic. See, one of the things that bothers me. I, I saw this um, on Twitter the other day. Somebody took a shot at Stephen Furtick, um, who is a great friend of mine, and they said Stephen Furtick will not listen to his critics. He's arrogant, and I'm like. That may be the most arrogant tweet I've ever seen because why the heck should he listen to you? Because you have a website? Mm-hmm. Like saying somebody who won't listen to me or, or saying somebody won't listen to me because they're arrogant, that's actually an arrogant statement because what you're saying is I know more than them and they should bow and bend the knee to my opinion. Mm-hmm. That might be the dumbest thing I've ever heard, but um, hypothetically. Um, number four... Um, a coach has earned respect. A critic has not. Mm-hmm. My coaches that I listen to, I respect these men of God. I respect them. And you know what? I'm going to listen to them. Somebody that doesn't know me, somebody that hadn't fought with me, bled with me, been in the trenches with me, um, either here or from a distance, I'm just not going to pay attention to them. Um, uh, number five, a coach handles things privately. A critic always goes public. The best coaching that a coach can provide is one-on-one. But Shane, I'm going to tell you something about critics that they will not, um, the people that run the hate websites and things like that, that they won't tell you. Every time I've entered or I've attempted to enter private dialogue with a critic, every time, they've always wanted to take it public. Mm -hmm. They have never, I've never had a legitimate critic who wanted to sit down and have a one-on-one conversation with me. It was always, we need to go on a blog, we need to do a video together, we need to do this. Um, I had a guy that was going back with me um, about four years ago, one-on-one through an email chain, and he eventually dropped out because there couldn't be a public forum. It's, I mean, it, they always want to go public. And listen, I'm just telling you, people that always want to go public with other people, people's faults, they're usually trying to hide something of their own. So I would just say, be careful there. Um, and number number six, a coach loves you through disagreement. A critic hates you no matter what. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I mean, in the scriptures, yeah. Can, can we have godly disagreements? Yes. Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Peter. But as I heard Mark Driscoll say recently, we're supposed to fight like brothers. Brothers fight without any danger of the relationship being ended. And so um, a lot of these guys don't fight like brothers. They, they, they fight like terrorists. They're going to take a shot at you, and then they're going to run away. Um, and um, the, the last one I had is um, a coach should always be listened to, and a critic should always be ignored. So I did a whole blog post on those. You can, I mean, they're on the website somewhere, perrynoble.com. Change your life. <laughs> Change your life. Uh, well, we did title this session The Evolution of Criticism. Talk about that. Why do we want to call it that? Well, because it's changed. It's changed so much. It, um, one of, uh, I've heard a couple really godly guys say this, and it's something that I used, to dis- I used to agree with, but now I don't necessarily agree with it because um, it, well, it's just not right. Let, let me kind of walk you through this. I've heard it said by people, criticism is like chewing gum. Take it, chew on it for a while, and then spit it out. Okay, the problem is the way criticism is leveraged today. Well, let me just kind of walk through it. Back in the 1950s and 60s, when Billy Graham, um, who was, by the way, a target of unbelievable criticism, which I just, God, you are going straight to hell if you criticize Billy Graham. Yep. But anyway, um, it, if you wanted to criticize Billy Graham in the 50s and 60s, and even the 70s, Shane, what you had to do is you had to sit down and write a letter, okay? Like, you had to write a letter to the local paper, and then you had to sign it. You had to put your name on it. Here's what blows my mind about people that leave anonymous comments. They're cowards, and they'll do it, and they'll say, well, I have freedom of expression. Listen, when the Founding Fathers signed the Declaration of Independence— Every one of those guys wrote their freaking name on it, mm-hmm. especially John Hancock. I mean, that name, his, his name is big. In other words, I want you to see what I believe. Mm-hmm. So if you can't even sign your name to what you say you're believing, I mean, golly, bum. Anyway, coward. We'll do a whole podcast on cowards. Um, anyway, the, uh, so, so you had to sign your name to it, and you had to send it to the editor. Well, the editor would read it. He would print it. It was in the newspaper. It was the buzz in barbershops for maybe about two or three days, and then it was gone. Well, then came the internet, thanks to Al Gore. And now because of the internet, um, I think Rick Warren said this, that communication today is instant, global, constant, and permanent. Mm -hmm. And those four things have changed criticism. Because today to criticize, all you got to do is type an email and hit send. Now, bro, I'm just going to tell you, hundreds of emails that I've sent that I shouldn't have hit send. I typed them, I was mad, I was angry, I hit send, and I'm like, oh, wish I could have that one back. Um, so so you, people write things they shouldn't write, they don't think about it anymore, they'll start blogs, they'll tweet, they'll attack people on their Facebook pages. I mean, it is unbelievable. So going back to the chewing gum analogy, I don't think there's anyone that can chew that much freaking gum. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, you can't chew that, that much, you would die chewing gum. Like, the chew, your mouth would explode. You can't chew that much gum. That's why you've got to be very wise about who gets to speak into your life. Now, this is what I believe. Once you decide who, what they speak into your life, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Nothing's, all, nothing's out of bounds. Nothing all, nothing's off limits. You just got to decide who. And the way we've defined it, and Shane, we've done it on this podcast many times, is in order to speak in my life, I got to know you love Jesus. I got to know you love this church. And then I got to know you love me. 
And I got to know you those three things in that order. Man, that to me, that's the best advice you could ever give about coaching. To have that priority list in odor. I'm sorry, in, in odor. In odor. That that stinks, Shane. Okay, now I'm actually very Order. scared of it. I'm going uh, yeah. to be a coward <laughs> about talking about it. But anyway, uh, moving on. One of the things I thought about too: the more popular someone becomes, the more critics they have. Well, you know why? Like you mentioned, Billy Graham. I mean, who's going to hate him? Well, but the, yet he's got. I mean, this is stupid. One of my coaches told me this, so I can't take credit for this. The reason they attack the popular guys is because they're after their platform. Mm-hmm. Because if a popular guy on Twitter or on Facebook will mention a critic, it gives that critic their platform. That's the other thing I would tell pastors and leaders. Don't give a critic your platform. Don't say, so-and-so said about this about me the other day on your blog, because what you just did is you elevated them to your platform. They don't have your platform. They don't, and that drives them crazy. So don't give it to them. What would you consider to be godly criticism. Anything said to you with a sincere desire to coach slash correct you in love. That's God. Listen, man, I've had godly men call me, sit across from me at lunch, look me in the eye and say, hey, man, I see something in your life that I really need to talk to you about. And, man, it Shane, it hurt. Mm-hmm. It hurt. But you know what? A lot of the times they were right. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. So I, I would consider it to be godly criticism if you have a sincere desire to correct someone in love. Like, that's why I tell people, don't, don't listen to people that don't really love you because they don't have a desire to correct you. Here's what they have a desire for. They have a desire for you to admit you're wrong, they're right. Now, at the root of that, you can call it anything you want to. The Bible calls it pride. And it's the very thing that got Satan kicked out of heaven. So that's that's like a pretty dangerous one right there. So I would that's what that's what I would I would say is somebody that has a sincere desire to provide godly correction, man, that's a coach, and you should listen to them because man, at the end the goal of it is love, not hate. Mm-hmm. Love, not hate. We've uh, sort of talked around this, but I'm gonna give you a chance to to answer specifically. How how do you or how do we how do leaders invite? healthy critique. you got to open up. One of the things that we do here on the staff and that I've done in my life personally is open yourself up and tell some tell a group of men and women, hey, you know what? I need you speaking into my life. I, have, I obviously have blind spots that I cannot see. I need you being as honest and open with me as possible. And I need you, I need you to love me enough to have the very uncomfortable conversation with me. Um, when you find people in your life that'll go that far and do that with you and do that for you, um, man, that, that is, that is valuable and you can trust that and you can hold on to that and you should, and you've got to have people like that in your life. Jesus himself said, I read this the other day, Jesus, God, he was so good. I love his stuff. He said, beware when all men speak well of you. So if all you've got is a bunch of people around you telling, hey, boss, good job, boss, way to go, boss, you, you killed him today, boss, da 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 and if all you hear is praise from the people around you, um, you need to worry. Now, on the flip side, if you always have the guy in the room that has to be the devil's advocate, um, l- let me give you fire him, okay? Because you've heard me say it before, the devil doesn't need a freaking advocate. He does a great job on his own. Um, criti- you can all- Godly criticism comes from the heart. And usually the person that shares it with you 
is not reveling in pride that they've caught you doing something wrong. They're broken for you. They are genuinely broken for you. And somebody that's broken for you because they love you, you've got to at least listen to them and pray through it and say, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray about what you just said. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give that serious consideration. Do you think that it's possible to have that sort of relationship like to seek that out as a leader, or is that something you seek out after spending time with people and you know who you can trust? It's both. It's both. Like, um, for example, James McDonald is a great friend of mine. James and I have not spent a lot of time together one-on-one, but because of how we've met and through the circumstances that we've met, he and I have established a pretty good relationship to where if he had some godly criticism for me, and he and he did at per the elephant room, which was awesome, by the way. I had a great time. Um, if he had some godly criticism for me, I would listen to it. I would pray through it. That's what that's what godly criticism does. It sharpens each other. It helps each other. It, we we help each other. We're better when we go through it rather than feeling like we got the hell beat out of us. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. Um, well, it's, we've talked about how to. receive godly critique or how to seek it out and reject criticism uh one things we we want to talk about is how do we offer it yeah Uh, for example uh you recently said some very direct things about rob bell's latest book on your blog you know what prompted you to do that and why do you think you went about that in the right way man there is a time and this is this is where the body of christ gets it wrong sometimes there is a time where godly Christ-like criticism is the right thing to do. But, I just want to say this, we see it in the Scriptures. Paul did it. There are a a few occasions in the Scriptures where, listen, the Apostle Paul, writing the Holy Scriptures under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, called people out by name. Like, he he didn't hint, he didn't say there's some theology out there today. He said... Okay, I handed this guy and this guy over to Satan to be blasphemy or to, to be um, whatever because they blasphemy or whatever. I mean, it it was direct, but here's the thing, Shane. Paul never mentioned them again. He didn't start an attack website. He didn't start a hate website. He didn't do any of that stuff. And by the way, those guys should always be ignored. Always be ignored. He didn't start a quote ministry tearing people down. In fact, the only people that we see in the scriptures that had a ministry that tore people down were the Pharisees. And the thing that's scary is Jesus called them sons of hell. So I, I don't think we want to pattern anything after those guys. Um, go, anyway, let me go back. Um, so the Apostle Paul did call people out by name, but he did it once, and he moved on. And so the whole thing with Rob Bell came about where, you know, back in 2005, I met Rob. I got to spend some time with him. I went to his house. I um, stayed in his house, man. Great, great guy, offered me hospitality. Um, and I knew on that trip that Rob and I probably weren't going to be um, BFFs, you know what I'm saying? But Because I thought maybe we disagreed on some things. But, man, you know what I walked away with? I walked away for, for respect from Rob Bell. And God has used some of the things he's taught to significantly impact my life. And so I heard all these rumors about um, Rob Bell writing a book on hell. I saw some very, and let me, let me emphasize this, very unnecessary things said about Rob Bell and to Rob Bell on Twitter. Um, by respected evangelical leaders. And uh, I'm just like, okay, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not thinking. And then, and then on the flip side, people are coming around going, well, I don't want to say anything. I don't want to say anything. And I'm like, no, 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 no. He said there's not a hell. Um, I think something needs to be said. And so 
Um, in the six-year history of my blog, I've never, ever directly um, spoken out against a particular person by name. Never. Um, but, man, I prayed through it. And, Shane, you'll, you'll know this, but you've earned the meetings where I talk to you guys about it. I'm like, guys, I really feel this. And so I, at the beginning of that post, which, by the way, it's the most popular post I've ever done on my website, hands down. Nothing's even come close. The beginning of my post, I said, hey, I love Rob Bell. I really do love Rob Bell. And I do. Rob Bell and I actually talked about this on the phone. I mean, he he called me, and we had a great conversation. Um, and so I, I love Rob Bell. But he was and is wrong about his book on hell. That that's And when we talked, Shane, I told him, I said, Rob, I'm not going to try to change your mind. You've obviously thought about this a lot. You wrote a freaking book. I just need some questions answered. So at the end of the day, um, if somebody like Rob Bell, who a lot of people are calling a heretic now or whatever, here's the deal. If he's going to be one back, it's not going to be through attack blogs and people that tear him down and rip him to shreds. It's going to be because people loved him enough through this, um, I would call it bad teaching, false teaching, call it whatever you want, to pull him back into the kingdom. At the end of the day, I love Rob Bell right now. I'll say that I'm his friend. I'm his friend publicly. I'm not his friend privately. But I think he's wrong. I think he's dead wrong on the subject of hell. And um, I think that's what godly criticism is. Hey, I love this guy. I think he's wrong. But you know what, Shane? Since that time, I don't tweet about Rob Bell. I don't blog about Rob Bell. I don't mention Rob Bell in my messages. I've moved on because I declared what I believed needed to be declared. That's what, that's what godly criticism is. It declares the problem, declares the error, and you know what? It moves on. If you can't let something go, it's because you can't let something go inside of you. Usually that's the problem. People that attack the most are always hiding something in their personal lives. I've seen it play out hundreds of times. Yep. Trying to distract most of them. Yep. Uh, well, let me ask you this. How did... First-year church planner Perry Noble respond to criticism. Horrible. Horrible. Awful. The awful, horrible, no good, very bad day. That's what was my... That, that, see, I talked to my counselor about this. God, everybody needs a counselor. Criticism hurts. It, it, is, it, is, a, it is an emotional wound that impacts the soul, especially if you're a pastor or church leader, because... Listen, you're giving your life to this stuff. And now I've got a little girl, and she's starting to see it, even as a four-year-old. And my wife, it impacts her. I mean, it impacts everything. So criticism always, always, always hurts. And so that first year, man, I just reacted. I was just like, and I, I felt like, Every critic, I felt like every critic needed an answer. And the second thing I thought, and I had a coach walk me through this too. The second thing I thought was, well, they just need me to sit down and explain things to them. If, if they just had a conversation with me, they would see that I love Jesus. I really want to do advance the kingdom. Um, and I tried to meet with these critics. But you know what, Shane? They always wanted to go public. They always wanted to go public. And or... Or they would say, yeah, man, man, thanks for doing this. And I would say, hey, if you ever had any problems, you come back to me. And then their level of attack publicly on me would actually elevate. It would not decrease. So I handled it very poorly because I tried to fight people and I tried to convince others. And 
the book of Nehemiah tells us to not come down off the wall, mm-hmm. to keep our eyes on the vision that God has for us. That's what Jesus did. Jesus kept his eyes on the vision. He did not let the Pharisees pull him off the wall, and ultimately, um, well, we get to go to heaven for it. I would say that's, I would say that's a good example to follow. Well, let's move right from that then to this. How does a more seasoned 11 and a half years or so into uh, New Spring Church um, as the senior pastor, how does a more seasoned Perry Noble respond to criticism now? Well, you know, it still hurts, Shane. Um, it, criticism always hurts because at the end of the day, I am under no illusion that I am perfect. I am under no illusion that I'm right in everything I do. I'm under no illusion that we are the best church in America. I'm under no illusion. I mean, I, I know I screw up. Um, and, you know, I over 11 years, yeah, I've said some things that I regret. Yeah, I've said some things that are stupid. Um, a lot of them reacting to criticism. I, I felt like for years I always had to defend what we were doing, and I finally come to the realization, if you're doing what God wants you to do, then God will defend what you're doing. God is your defender. He is our shield. He is our fortress. He is our rock. You don't have to defend what you're doing. You just need to do what God leads you to do, and God will defend what you're doing. Um, The second thing is, if I lead with vision and compassion, then I have very little time to criticize the the criticizers, you know. And I, I, I used to do that. I used to I used to go off on them. Now, from time to time, the things need to be brought up that are very specific. Um, but on the flip side, people say when I go off on critics, they go, oh, you're hating the haters. Well, I'm not hating the haters, but I am hating what they're doing. I have never, ever on Twitter, to my knowledge, now if I'm wrong, I'm sure somebody out there will, will point this out, but to my knowledge, on my blog or on Twitter, and I don't Facebook, I did for two days, but on my blog or on Twitter, I have never attacked a critic personally by name and torn them down. I've never done that. And so um, I, I would, and I've seen guys that do that, and I go, guys, don't go there. Don't go there. Because listen, if you get in a crap slinging f- fight, at the end of the fight, everybody has crap on them and everybody stinks. So don't sling crap at each other. That's just not very wise. And so I would just say, now when I find out the critics are coming, I'm like, hey, must be doing something right. Hey, what did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And I'm going to stop right there. Critics, and I, I remove me from the remove me from the um, uh, mix. Let's just talk about Rick Warren. I have legitimately, Shane, and you've seen this too, seen people say all, falsely say all kinds of evil against him because they will take a clip of something he preached or an excerpt of something that he wrote. And they'll say, look what he said. And Shane, they will take and twist his words and then go off on it when, if you look at the whole thing in context or you listen to the whole thing in context, that's not what Rick said. Call that what you will. I call it deception. I call it accusation. By the way, who in the who in the Bible is full of deception and accusation? I'm just saying, who in the Bible... Who is that motivated by? I mean, it's not, you don't even Could have to be say, like, mm-hmm. anyway, so I call it deception. I call it accusation. 
Um, and it's just, it's falsely saying all kinds of evil against people. I read this this morning. I read this in the scriptures, and it was so funny because I knew we were talking um, about this today. In Luke chapter 11, where, um, where Jesus was casting out demons, and they're like, oh, he's doing that by Beelzebub. Mm-hmm. And the Bible says this, Jesus knew their thoughts and said, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, um, which is true. Christians are the only people that shoot their wounded. Um, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can this kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your ju- judges. But then the, Luke 11, verse 20, then he said this, but if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. This is what Jesus is saying. You better watch what you're doing, guys. Because if I'm doing this under the leadership and direction and vision of God, then what you're speaking against is not me. Or it's not, it's not, it's not my word. It's God. Mm. That, is a, that is a dangerous place to be. So I'll go back to Rick Warren. Hey, you know what? Rick Warren's not perfect. He's probably made some mistakes. But if what he's doing is of God, then the people that constantly attack and tear him down, I just don't see it going very good for them. Mm, That is a scary thought. You know, Perry, in describing your own uh, personal evolution of how to deal with criticism, it sounds like early on, uh, you sort of had a man-centered view of criticism, and here recently you've developed a God-centered view of it. Yeah. Would you, uh, as we close today, your final thoughts, just kind of take that wherever you want to go uh, and some last encouragement or challenge or uh, food for thought for our listeners. Yeah. See, I, I read a book recently. Um, I think it's about Ed Welch called When um, Man is Big and God is Small. And I would recommend that every pastor on the planet get that book because what happens with critics is we begin to listen to their voice so much that the voice of God becomes very distant um, and or absent in our lives. And we will literally, listen, I know pastors that have quit because they couldn't handle the criticism. And listen, criticism comes with the territory. Jesus said no no, um, no student is above his teacher. If they criticize me, they're going to criticize you. If they attack me, they're going to attack you. Look at the prophets in the Old Testament. It ended badly for just about all those guys because, Shane, of religious criticism. It wasn't the pagans that killed them. It was the, it was the church people. Mm. And so that's just, that is a world that we live in. Criticism is a re- reality. It comes with a territory. It does hurt. When, when criticism no longer hurts you as a leader, you have a cold, calloused heart, and you, you, you better get some help. Um, it's always going to hurt. It's always going to wound. It's always going to be personal. The dumbest thing you could say to a leader is don't take this personally. That, it's, gonna, it's, like, it's like somebody coming up and kicking you in the nuts and going, hey, man, don't take that personally. <laughs> no, it's personally. You just kicked me in the nuts. That hurt. I'm mad at you now. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's always going to be personal. It's always going to hurt. Um, and the ungodly criticism should always, listen to me, always, always, always be ignored. 
And I know the argument. Well, there could be some truth in it. You know what? There could be some good food in the garbage can too. But I'm not going to go through the digging through the garbage can so I can find a whole candy bar. If it's in the garbage, it needs to stay in the garbage. If I need good food, I know, I know, I know to go to a grocery store. Yeah. And so I would say, yeah, there could be, but why risk that? Have godly men and women in your life that n- know you, okay? Who know, they don't just know your personality. They know you. They, they love Jesus. They love you. They love the church, and then they love you. And they love you so much that they're willing to have the uncomfortable conversations with you. Surround yourself with those people. Listen to them. If you're feeling that you're maybe going in the wrong direction, ask them. Ask them to give you unfiltered opinions and feedback and allow those people to be a guiding force in your life. Um, People that have an agenda of attack and hate should always, always, always be ignored. Well, that's a really good and strong word uh, for us to conclude on. Uh, I just want to shout out to the four or five people that may be listening that might be being attacked uh, by a handful of people. Don't give in to that. Don't let that knock you off the course that God set you on. And listen to the words that Perry has shared with us today. Uh, to seek out godly counsel, godly coaches, and reject at all all times the voice of ungodly criticism. Let, and let me say this, Shane, one more thing. One more thing in the book of Nehemiah, Sanballat and Tobiah, the critics, they show up in chapter two. They never leave the book. You find them even in the last chapter of the book of Nehemiah. As a leader, you're always, always, always going to deal with it. It's just reality of where we live. But like you said, to the person out there that's wrestling right now and you're about to give up, listen, there was someone who went in front of you whose task was much tougher than you, and he didn't give up, and he's the one we follow. Don't let the accuser and the manipulator talk you out of what God has called you to. Step up, be the man, lead through it, um, and and build a great church for the—build a— Build a great church for God. Well, with that, we're going to sign off. Thanks again for listening out there, and we will see you guys next month.